Hello, you've tuned in to the Death Dialogues Project podcast. My name is Becky Odd Jennison, and I'm your host. Why death? Death is the part of our lives we are so very certain about, yet we fear the most. Hiding deep within anxiety, which is a current epidemic, lies the fear of death, ours or a loved one's. But what if I told you that people who embrace death and talk about it openly have a more full-spectrum life experience? We know it isn't your fault. We've been programmed to stuff our conversations and feelings surrounding end of life. By listening to other stories, you get invaluable practice. Our listeners feel more informed about what to do when they find themselves negotiating that inevitable terrain. Most of all, our listeners feel a personal expansion after sitting with someone's tender and fascinating story. That's why we say listening will make you a better human. Promise. Thanks for being here. Thank you all for being here today. I'm just popping in and saying a quick hello and welcome before we let our new podcast host, Kate Burns, take over. And I know you're going to enjoy this interview as much as I did. Thanks, Kate, for being here. And thank you all for showing up. Hi everyone, I'm your host, Kate Burns. I'm so excited to share with you my first ever podcast interview. The story we'll share today is not only one of repeated loss beginning from a young age, but also one coming from the male perspective. Today we talk with Cameron who opened up about different types of loss in his life, how he is continuing to cope years down the road, and how loss has shaped his relationship with the world. I'm lucky to have known Cameron for 30 years, and I'm excited for you to learn his story. Thank you for being with us. Okay, thanks so much for being here with us today. I've got Cameron Cambas on the call. Hi, Cameron. Hey, how's it going? Good. Thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, of course. So you and I have known each other for upwards of about 30 years actually and I think that I know (laughs) I think (laughs) that um you know about a year ago you and I even talked about how cool it would be for um us to be able to go on a podcast and kind of share our experiences whether it be about grief and death or otherwise and so I'm really happy to get to talk to you today about death and grief particularly because I think with you your story is very unique Um, so if you can kind of just go ahead and let people know where you are in the world and then just go ahead and jump into your experience with loss and death, that would be great. Yeah, of course. First of all, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be sharing this with you and with everyone. Um, right now I am located in Chicago, Illinois, and I very soon will actually be relocating to Colorado, which I'm very excited about. Excellent. In terms of, you know, my experience with death and and loss, you know, we've talked about this a little bit. I sort of equate the two to be very similar, um, just based on my experiences. Uh, You know, ultimately, 
I can talk about uh, my mom dying when I was very young. And even before that, my dad becoming incarcerated when I was just 11 years old. Um, and so, you know, to start, I guess I'll start with my dad. Um, he, you know, I guess I don't want to say long story short, but long story short, <laughs> he murdered his then ex-girlfriends and wound up with a uh, life sentence in maximum security prison um, with no chance of parole. Um, you know, since I was 11, it's hard to say what the impact of that was. I remember um, sort of feeling nothing, really nothing about it at the time. Like, I don't, I don't know, you know, being a child, what, what you're supposed to feel and what kind of feelings um, bubble up. Um, so I do, you know, I remember students at school, so fellow sixth graders, um, you know, approaching me and telling me they heard what happened, et cetera. Um, I, I knew I should have felt sad. And I think to some degree I did. But to me, it was sort of, you know, my parents had been separated. And I really only saw my dad on the weekends, and maybe every few weekends. And, you know, so in a way, I, I already felt his absence in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so when that happened, it was, of course, very, very surprising. And I remember being, you know, sort of dumbfounded that it that it happened. And and I probably didn't understand the full extent of it. Like, your dad's going away. He's never going to be, you know, in your life in the same way again. Um, and that is a pretty massive change. Um, and then I think that, you know, throughout my adolescence there, that there certainly were impacts. I remember times where, you know, I felt sad when my friends were going to spend time with their you know, their dads on Father's Day or really doing anything that kids do with their dads that I was missing out on. Um, and I think that growing up that, that bums me out the most and probably had the most lasting impact on me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it sort of set me up for this, this general um, sense and worry of abandonment that you know, I still feel to this day and, and still work through um, and try to um, cope with. And, you know, I think that that started it. And then, you know, when we get through high school and, you know, I'm 19 and I go off to start my undergrad degree at, at Creighton in Nebraska. Um, and after my first semester um, at school, you know, right at the beginning of my second semester, I wake up one morning to find that my mom died overnight. Um, And that was just a, I mean, you know, there just really aren't words to describe, you know, the horror of that and um, being 19 and and knowing what death is at that point and knowing the permanence of it and knowing that your parent, you know, shouldn't die when you're 19 um, really was, was far heavier, um, in terms of a, a visceral feeling than, you know, uh, losing my dad, uh, from my life, you know, as, as an 11 year old was. And, you know, I, I for a long time, I had a, a lot of guilt around my mom's death because, you know, the, the night before she died, 
um, I w- I remember distinctly being at a friend's dorm room at a um, at a state college, and I remember my mom called me, and I you know I was irritated with her for some reason that day, and so I picked up the phone and I just said what, and the only thing she wanted to tell me was that she loved me and just wanted to tell me good night, and I said okay, and I hung up. Pretty sure I hung up on her. Um, you know, so to, to have that be your last conversation with, you know, your remaining parent, um, is a pretty shitty feeling that sort of sticks with you for a while. Um, or at least it did with me. So, yeah. That is a heartbreaking story. You know, I, I know I've heard that story at least five times from you over the years, but it it breaks my heart every time. Um, thank you for sharing that. I know it's hard to kind of relive some of those things uh, through conversations, and I think that'll be really impactful for a lot of people to hear. Um, yeah. Can you speak a little bit to what your relationship with death was before your mom's death? Yeah. Um, you know, I, the one like hmm, probably the one death that I remember growing up was my great aunt Margie. Um, she was just a very vivacious person that you know I saw maybe once a year, and just really had an impact on me as a kid. Um, in, in terms of you know, I just always enjoyed being around her, and and I remember you know my mom getting the phone call that she died. And that that felt pretty devastating too. And, and it's interesting because I don't exactly remember how old I was. Um, I don't remember, you know, necessarily if it was before my dad went to jail or after. Um, I just remember being particularly moved by that event and 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 really feeling that loss. Um, but you know, at the same time, she was you know significantly older. Or you know, she, she wasn't old, but you know, she was older than my mom. Um, she was a smoker. If I remember correctly, you know, she died from complications with lung cancer. Um, so not that, you know, death is ever necessarily good or, or anything, but it, and, and, and I wouldn't say that it was expected, but those are kind of some, some telltale signs of, you know, you're, you're more at risk of dying. And so I think to some degree, I, I had an understanding of that. Um, but I would say like she was probably the closest person to me that, that died that I remember um, prior to, to my mom dying. Yeah. And I'm wondering about the, you talked a little bit about how your parents not supposed to die when you're, when you're that age and your parents just kind of, you don't imagine them dying. I wonder, did you ever imagine the loss of your mom in a obviously not a similar way to the way that you lost your dad, but to lose your mom in in such a permanent way, did you imagine that at all? Was that a fear for you since you lost your dad? Yeah, I think you know, thinking back on on things I did as a kid, that when I look at stuff like um, when I would go to sleep at night, I would you know, annoyingly make my mom leave her door open and cause her, her bedroom was across the hall from mine. Um, mm-hmm. I would make her leave her door open or, you know, if she didn't, I would throw a fit and I would make, uh, we would keep the bathroom light on so that there was a light cause you know, 
who knows if I associated darkness with, with oncoming death or anything, but Mm -hmm. I think subconsciously losing my dad and feeling that abandonment, um, gave me a sense of, of worry and anxiety around, you know, having, you know, what would happen if my mom died and, Mm -hmm. you know, being a kid, you know, you can't prevent your parents' death, but, you know, I must've felt in some way that, if I just would stay awake and listen for my mom snoring or, you know, like her farting or something, then, <laughs> then I would know, God, she would hate me saying that. Uh, then I would know that, you know, she's alive and she's in the next room and, you know, I could go to sleep because I didn't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think like, I don't, I don't know that I had those thoughts readily in my mind, but I think subconsciously the, the loss of my father sort of had that lasting impact on me and so you can imagine you know having that happen and losing my mom um just like exacerbated those feelings of of the permanence of loss and and how fragile uh, life can be mm-hmm. yeah i think you're 100 percent right that permanence and not be, really being able to comprehend that even until until something like that happens is just, it's so life-changing, so altering. And, you know, I want to give people kind of a timeline of how this happened. So you said you were 11 when your dad went to prison, correct? Mm -hmm. How long had they been separated um, before he murdered his ex-girlfriend? If I remember correctly, my dad was living with us probably until, I would say around kindergarten. And then he moved out. Um, he moved just a few miles away. Um, and then I would say, you know, that's probably four years, five years after he moved out is when he went to prison. Okay. So four or five years, something like that. And then, you know, then you're, you're 19 when your mom died. It just feels like you experienced so many different types of losses, almost just back to back from the divorce to him being incarcerated to your mom's death. Uh, that has to have such a significant impact on you, especially being so young. And you talk about those issues with abandonment and things like that. And you talked about how even to this day you work through those issues. What does working through those issues look like for you? It's difficult. It's, um, it's something that I still feel like I'm trying to figure out the answer to. Um, and I think as I, as I work on it more and more, you know, especially in therapy, um, I realize that, there really isn't going to be just one answer. There's not going to be one thing I can do, one book I can read, um, one meditation I can do that will just make all my abandonment issues go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and for me, it's going like it has been and is going to be, you know, a lifelong struggle. Um, it's going to be a a life filled with learning about it, learning, you know, what sorts of things help me feel supported and safe and really gravitating toward those and and reinforcing those and trying to avoid, you know, things such as, you know, relationships or situations that sort of trigger those feelings um, of abandonment. And, And I don't say that in a way of like, I'm going to 
focus on focusing on avoiding relationships um mm-hmm. it's more so like recognizing which relationships or situations are maybe toxic for me and mm-hmm. not putting energy into those um yeah. and sort of you know sort of learning that way and i've been very fortunate to have you know over the, the many years um that have passed to have good good therapists um like i have a great therapist right now and I really enjoy our relationship and I feel like I'm learning so much and, um, you know, I learn to be kind to myself and, and anytime I feel frustrated with, you know, struggling in a relationship that I try to step back and, and remember where I'm coming from, um, mm-hmm. and remember, you know, that the reactions I have to certain things or when I, you know, when I get anxious and feel like abandoning, you know, I use the word abandon, um, <laughs> like abandoning, you know, let's say a relationship, whether it's a friendship or a, a romantic relationship that, you know, I'm kind to myself and understanding that there is a, a reason that those feelings come so naturally to me. Um, I had, you know, all sorts of loss growing up and, and pivotal moments, you know, in my adolescence. And it makes sense that I might worry a little bit about, getting close to someone and, you know, them disappearing on me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And, and we know, I mean, research has shown that those types of losses at such a young age, um, as you get older, you're, you're at much higher risk for anxiety and depression and things like that. And so I'm so glad to hear that you are going to therapy for things like this. And I'm wondering how long it took you. I mean, at 19, um, how long did it take you to start engaging in therapy after your mom died? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I had, you know, I had been introduced to therapy after my dad went to prison. Mm-hmm. I remember my mom taking me to a psychologist that sort of was in the neighborhood and, and I didn't really understand why I was going there. And honestly, I, I feel like the few sessions that we had, we spent most of the time just sitting and like playing checkers, mm-hmm. um, and so, and maybe that, and maybe that was therapeutic for me at that point. But I remember as a kid, not understanding, like, what's, you know, what's the point of this? Like, how is this supposed to help? Or really just feeling like I didn't need any help, like that nothing mm-hmm. was wrong. And, you know, why did I need to go do this thing when I'd much rather be playing a video game or riding my bike somewhere? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think after, after my mom died, um, you know, I had, I had a lot of, close friends you included that that really showed up to support me and um i think through through that process um and just knowing that you know i had at least attempted therapy earlier that it was a good thing to to try and and i remember the next time sort of that i looked into therapy was not until i would say probably 3 or so years after mom died uh, when i was down in Louisiana, I'm finishing up my undergrad degree. And uh, I remember just struggling with um, some bouts of mild depression and anxiety and, um, and just, you know, struggling to cope with um, just kind of life in general at that point. And, and I remember there was a counselor service at the university that was, you know, free to students. And so I started going to that. And, um, you know, it was, it was helpful and it got me into 
you know, journaling and just reading more about, um, you know, struggling with loss and, and trying to understand how that might have an impact on my life. And then I would say that, you know, my relationship with that therapist lasted, you know, probably a year um, around when I moved out of Louisiana and, and back up to Nebraska. Um, and then I, you know, I would say I was off of therapy for probably at least a few years until I, you know, found another therapist in Omaha. Um, and, you know, I, I've kind of noticed the pattern with myself and, and I definitely feel differently about this now, but, you know, when I was younger and in my twenties, therapy sort of felt like this thing that I go do and I'm going to do it for six months or a year and I'm going to be better and then I'm not going to need it anymore. And I'm no longer going to have, you know, struggles in relationships and, um, I'm, you know, no longer going to be anxious about things. Uh, and and just like kind of repeatedly finding out that that is just not the case. Mm -hmm. Um, and that would always be what would sort of bring me back into therapy. Um, and so, and so here I am, you know, after that, the last therapist was, you know, back in Omaha several years ago and, you know, when I moved to Chicago uh, a little over three years ago, um, one of the first things I did within probably the first six months of being in Chicago was finding a therapist um, and just really prioritizing that a lot more. And, you know, coming to the realization that this is a lifelong thing. And, and even, you know, if I have times where I'm not, you know, seeing a therapist, I have plenty of, of sort of uh, work that can be done on my own time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it's so important for us to kind of break the stigma of therapy, I think. Uh, so often people, I think primarily men more than women, uh, feel like they, sh- they shouldn't need therapy and things for that, things like that. And I'm I'm so glad that you were able to, you've been able to find so many different people who have helped you along the way. And also having that recognition that there's probably not going to be an end. There might be, you know, months or years where you ebb and flow and you may not feel like you need it, but uh, just kind of like with the grief process, I don't think it ever really ends, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You might feel better sometimes, but then sometimes you, you need it. It's kind of an interesting um, parallel between grief and therapy. Um, You know, you, you mentioned, you know, being 19 or 20 and you had friends around who kind of helped pick you up during that time. And I know just with the death of my mom, uh, you know, you were one of the ones that, I mean, you came all the way from, from Chicago to be at my mom's funeral and be there to kind of help me through that. And that was so incredibly helpful because you knew what I was experiencing. And when we were 19, not many of us knew what you were experiencing. And kind of as I was thinking through recording this podcast, I was thinking, gosh, I hope I didn't say anything totally cringy (laughs) um, to you at that time. And I'm wondering, you know, how did your friends at that time help you? And how did they maybe hurt you with some of the things that they or we said? Yeah, you know, you didn't. (laughs) You said anything (laughs) cringy. I honestly... You know, the when that happened, you know, when mom died from that morning for like months, I I couldn't even I couldn't even tell you what sorts of things I remember, you know, if anything. Um, 
I, I remember she died and, you know, one of the sort of odd things to me about death and it just seems, you know, to this day seems mildly inappropriate, but I understand the, ne- the necessity of it is, you know, why when someone dies, do you have to go straight to the funeral home to like figure out how you're going to bury them or how, what casket you're going to put them in or what their last wishes were like, why I don't, I I don't understand like taking a day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But I do remember my grandpa coming over and, you know, that was something we did that afternoon, you know, not, you know, not 12 hours after my mom died. I, I just remember sitting in a, in the funeral home and, you know, trying to, say yes to a casket um but you know outside of that uh it's kind of it was really it was really surprising to me in in a good way that um friends showed up I sort of went through high school feeling always feeling like I had you know close friends um but when you when, when you look at it through the lens of abandonment um, or at least, you know, for me personally, I always felt like I had close friends, but I also always felt that I was one step away from losing my good friends for some reason. Um, like that I would do something or say something and that would cause them to leave, which, you know, there I'm sure are similar feelings I had when my dad went to prison. It's like, what did I do as a kid or what did I not do? Um, that contributed to the situation. And so one thing that, you know, was nice about the, my mom dying, which is like a terrible thing to say, uh, but I think you get it, uh, mm-hmm. is that it really showed me the people that truly cared about me. Um, and it was far more people than I thought or mm-hmm. that I would have expected, um, which, you know, we can get into whole like self-esteem sort of thing, but it was really heartwarming to see, you know, I had, I mean, that first day I had a friend come over and just sit with me just mm-hmm. in my basement and we didn't say anything or talk about anything, but it was just so comforting having a friend around, um, you know, for the, the two weeks after mom died, I had friends that were staying the night at the house because I was, you know, I was alone in this house with two, you know, annoying dogs. Um, (laughs) But I just constantly had people over. I was always fed. Um, Like there was food everywhere. I didn't have to worry about any of that. Um, And it was just, you know, I don't remember anything of what anyone said to me at all. I just remember that people are around and, you know, I don't remember everyone that was around. um, But yeah, I just remember being feeling very taken care of and and sort of protected and safe in the in those first couple of weeks. And um, you know, I think that it doesn't, you know, I think a lot of people feel and sense this, but it doesn't really matter what you say, like as long as it's not super off base and really offensive. <laughs> like mm-hmm. as long as you're present and you know available to help if there's anything to help with or. Um, even, you know, not physically present, but, um, you know, just emotionally present for, you know, the person who's experiencing loss, if that's, you know, what helps them feel safe, which, you know, for me, it does, that is enough. Like, there's never going to be anything anyone could have said to me that would 
make me think, oh, you're right. Like, this isn't a big deal. Someday I won't <laughs> care that my mom died. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, so yeah, I just think having, having those friends around and, and just feeling like people were, you know, taking care of me. Um, I even had, uh, you know, Lucia is one of my favorite people in the world was helping me with taxes because mm-hmm. I had never had to do taxes before. And at that point, I had no parent that could tell me how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that that you wouldn't necessarily think of, especially for like a kid, mm-hmm. um, I think were just just so impactful and so meaningful to me. I'm so fascinated to hear that that one of your friends, who I'm assuming was similar in age, came and sat with you in your basement. And even though the two of you didn't really talk much, that they knew that was something that they should do, or maybe it just felt right. Um, Because even, I mean, I was much older than you when my mom died. I just found that people were so uncomfortable with the silence Mm. and Mm -hmm. um, more often than not would almost lean on, you know, she's in a better place, which infuriated me. Um, No, the better place is here with me. And it, it's stuff like that. That kind of thing didn't make me feel better. And so it was those people who, just kind of periodically checked in and sat with me uh, in silence sometimes because that's kind of when we work through some of that stuff is just in the silence when someone's physically there with you. Um, but I'm just I'm so surprised by the fact that somebody knew at at 19 or 20 to do that. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder where we learn to say these these things of like, you know, they're in a better place. Mm-hmm. Um Maybe maybe not all of us learn that by by nineteen, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I was I mean I was super thankful for that, and um, you know I'm sure people did say you know uh, supportive things, and I just don't remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember people being around, um, and yeah, that just felt like that is what I needed in that moment. Mm-hmm. Do you suppose your lack of memory around that time is due to the trauma of what you experienced or um, something else? That is the question. I often feel like I have a pretty terrible memory. Um, And, you know, I don't I don't know how anyone would ever figure it out. But sometimes it feels like, you know, I, I go between uh, this is just how my brain works to maybe this, you know, my lack of remembering things in like specific details, um, has to do with, you know, trauma that I had as a kid, like specifically emotional trauma that my brain is just like, man, maybe you don't need to remember all these things. So let's just like (laughs) forget about those, those details. And so it's, it's, you know, it makes me sad really, because there's so much about my life that I want to constantly remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, you know, probably most, if not all people feel that to some degree for some things. And, um, you know, that's why we take pictures or journal. Um, and so there's a, there's a lot from my childhood and, and from middle school, from high school that I just wish I remembered more. Like I will have friends that will reminisce with me about things that we did in high school or even things that we did in college or things we did last year. And, you know, when I don't remember them, I, I feel bad. Um, and, and it's not for lack of care. Um, Mm -hmm. I absolutely want to remember. I just, 
I just don't all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I do have to wonder, yeah, does that, does, does growing up with trauma, you know, have an impact on that? Do I mm-hmm. subconsciously, um, you know, not live in the moment? Like sometimes I also, I also think, you know, maybe it's because when I'm in the moment or, or trying to be in the present, I struggle with um, opening myself up to connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because, you know, I think in my brain it's, you know, I don't know exactly what the logic is, but it's, oh, it's nice to meet a new person. Let's get to know them a little bit, but don't get to know them too much because if you don't know them for that long, they'll probably disappear and then you'll feel bad and then it will, you know, trigger feelings of abandonment. And so how about instead of really being in the present and trying to connect with someone at a deeper level, you just, you know, make, you know, minimal efforts and and keep it fairly surface level and Um, you know, if that person sticks around for X amount of days, then you can, you know, start to open up more. And so sometimes I wonder that, you know, if I am doing something like that subconsciously, that that will make it harder for me to remember specific details about, you know, hanging out with people I care about. Um, and especially when I think about like high school details, it's, you know, I felt close to, to my friends, but I'm sure it, you know, to some degree, I, I kept my distance just in case um, I was abandoned by anyone. Mm-hmm. It's your your brain's way to protect you from any further hurt and loss. Mm-hmm. And that's just got to be really hard in terms of relationship building um, with so many people, I think. And, and de- death changes you so much. Mm-hmm. But when it kind of starts impacting your your relationships with people who are here and living and want to want to have those meaningful relationship with you, I I imagine that's really challenging. Yeah, it can be. Um, but you know, the more I the more I recognize that you know that may be happening, um, the more I can do to try and and focus on the present. And you know, this is uh, it'll be like I said before, it'll it's. This is something I have to learn, you know, over the course of my life and continue to practice that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will be, you know, a lifelong journey of of coping, if you will. Yeah, definitely. I think we're all kind of on that path, no matter what our, our story is. You know, if people are listening to this podcast, it's likely that they've experienced a death in some way or maybe are preparing for a loved one to die. And I'm sure to kind of hear some of these things to watch for. I think that it's probably really helpful to folks. Um, You have spoken a little bit just in our our other conversations about how you felt that you've benefited from your identities. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that and how it relates to your grief. Hmm. Yeah, I mean... trying to think the best way to put it you know i've for you know for losing like i i I hear a lot from people uh, you know right wrong or indifferent that i've done so well and that i have um you know from the childhood i had that um i've done such a good job of you know getting a good job and and securing it and not um you know falling to 
you know, any other, in like a negative lifestyle that would be harmful. Um, you know, I, I got myself through undergrad and through grad school and, um, you know, I get a lot of uh, positive reinforcement about that and, and, and it's great and it's true. And, and sometimes it's hard for me to feel that necessarily. And sometimes I struggle with like the identity thing and, and I feel a little, little guilty, like being a white guy that, you know, yes, I, I've grown up with adversity, but I have become, you know, as I become older, I've also become more aware of how, um, you know, my skin color and my, my gender identity and, um, all that like has an impact on my life too. And, you know, I, I'm cognizant of, you know, as much as I can be, because like, like I kind of said, I'm, this is a, a whole learning process for me that will also be lifelong as well. And, um, it's not, you know, as much as I, you know, as much as it can be, it's not lost on me that my life, um, you know, would have been harder, um, you know, not having this particular identity. And, um, I do, you know, when people, you know, say those things, like say those things and, you know, they're really nice. I, I am conscious of like the luck of being born like this way. And, and I think that, you know, you know, what is it, what am I getting at? What does that mean? Like, I try to use that in my everyday life of, you know, trying to be active and, you know, fighting racism, fighting bigotry and speaking out against that kind of stuff. And also recognizing, um, how I have, you know, implicitly and explicitly benefited from the color of my skin and, um, you know, just trying to, trying to use that for good. And, and also, you know, I need to be good to myself too, and not, you know, what I do so often is downplay my experiences. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a coping mechanism, honest, honestly, where, yes, I recognize it's hard to lose, you know, a dad, um, and it's hard to lose a mom. Um, but, you know, I try to downplay it and minimize it. Um, probably so that it, you know, it doesn't have a stark impact on my life. Um, and I do that with other things too, of, you know, I try not to let myself get too happy about something. Um, and I try not to let myself get too sad about something. Um, I try to keep my emotions and in my life just like right in the middle, somewhere in like the sweet spot of around this like midline. Um, you know, I, you know, slightly above too, cause I, I do enjoy being happy. Um, but <laughs> Um, I think, you know, I try not to do that um, as much. So when I get into these, you know, these moments in my head where I'm thinking about, oh, well, you know, it's, it could be, you know, it could be a lot worse, um, you know, because I could have had this life situation or or any of this. I start, I, I sometimes ignore um, the difficulty of it that I experienced on my own. Um, and mm-hmm. I try not to to minimize those experiences. It almost sounds like you experienced somewhat of a tug of war over this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> like it's not even a, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess that, that plays out in real time. Right. <laughs> like I go back and forth between being like, Oh, like you had this situation easier than other people would have. And also like the thought of like, be kind to yourself. Like, yes, that may be true, but it doesn't, I mean it wasn't hard for you right um and it yeah it's it's a struggle um but that is the sort of 
kind of like as you said you said it perfectly like this tug of war of um just like how how i i don't want to say should feel about it because i don't like saying Mm -hmm. should but how i feel about it yeah Uh, yeah that makes perfect sense um so i want to kind of come to a wrap-up point and as we're going through this conversation I almost like envision what it looked like when we were kids and moving into adulthood and and these significant losses that you experienced. And it seems like, yes, you had people there, you had people supporting you, you had friends, you had um, parental figures, though they weren't your Mm -hmm. figure, your your parents helping you kind of through taxes and college and things like this. Um, And it's interesting because it feels almost like it's coming full circle. Um, at least in my mind, because you went through all of these things without much guidance or if any at all. Um, and here you are speaking on this podcast to Lord knows how many people and your words have the ability to touch so many people and give other people guidance who may be experiencing some similar loss or death in their lives. And so I'm wondering to kind of wrap up if you have any either advice or Maybe you've read a book or listened to a podcast that has impacted you in a positive way. If there's something like that that you can share for listeners out there. Yeah, of course. Um, Like I said, it's, I don't feel like I have the answer or really kind of any answers. Um, There, uh, the name of the book is actually escaping me and which is unfortunate, but because this is like the perfect place to to mention it. But I think that for me, what has been really helpful, of course, is therapy, Um, even challenging myself in those moments where I don't feel like I need therapy to -hmm. continue doing it. Um, Because there, you know, from my perspective, there always, there's always something to learn and continue learning. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, you know, finding the things that work for you in terms of of coping and maybe not even coping, maybe just feeling like you're making some progress and whatever that progress looks like to you um, is important. And, you know, one thing that, you know, I'm exploring is trying to be realistic with goals and, you know, ways and thinking of ways that my goals can um, help me feel like I'm making progress. Uh, For example, one of the ways that I feel I can sort of address my trauma and my abandonment is by um, sort of rectifying it or doing it differently, you know, if and when I have my own family. Um, I didn't have a stable, you know, loving household all like growing up um, because of loss. And, you know, that turbulence was there. And I want to you know, quote unquote, fix that when, you know, I have a kid. Um, mm-hmm. I want to provide to my family the stability and the things that I didn't have as a child as a way of sort of healing from that trauma. Um, and so, you know, that's a goal I've set for myself. And um, I'm constantly, you know, thinking about that and thinking about, you know, how those sorts of things can help me continue to learn to uh, cope with with my trauma you know 
um, address abandonment and really challenge those feelings in a, in a, in a productive and healthy way. That makes sense. Thanks for sharing that. And if you do think of the name of the book, um, send that my way and we can add it to yeah, the, absolutely. the um, description of the podcast. But thank you so much for being here and for this conversation and sharing um, so much of yourself with, with people and to kind of further the conversation around grief and therapy and death. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us today. We'd love for you to get further connected with our project. You can find the links in the podcast information. You can also find the Death Dialogues Project on Facebook, on Instagram, and at www.deathdialogues.net. Take good care and see you next time.